Say hello to a new friend on an old road. Take a two-lane trip of memories into mysteries unknown. Come along for the ride. Jim Hinckley's America. Jim Hinckley's America. Hey, good morning, my friends. Beautiful way to start the month here in Kingman, Arizona. It's going to be a nice, <clears throat> excuse me, 80 degrees today. <clears throat> Just before we were scheduled to get a little bit of rain or snow this weekend. Anybody who says Kingman doesn't have seasons hasn't lived here for a week. Got a little bit of fun for you today. And of course, we had our theme song there from Joe and Woody and the boys of the road crew. Kind of fitting. We're doing a, a journey through time and a journey along America's back roads this morning. We're going to be talking about uh, uh, auto courts, cabins, campgrounds, motels, a little bit of the evolution of roadside lodging, if you will, little snippets. And uh, like my pa always said, better to fill your head with useless knowledge than no knowledge at all. And boy, we've got some ample opportunity for that this morning. Hey, I want to give a shout out since we're speaking motels. We need to give a shout out to the uh, iconic one-of-a-kind Wagon Wheel Motel in Cuba, Missouri. Oldest continuously operated motel on Route 66. And uh, it's a magical place. The past, the present, they blend seamlessly. And Miss Connie Eccles is just an incredible host. And it's a near-perfect blending of the old and the new. It's uh, Route 66 trip just wouldn't be complete without a stay at the uh, Wagon Wheel Motel. Well, let's get started here. Uh, before 1925, early motorists had but two time-honored choices. Sleeping under the stars or the back seat or at a local inn or hotel. Even into the 1930s, travelers often chose the open-air option, largely the result of financial conditions. Countless small companies thrived by catering to this demand. Nash even went so far as making seats that folded into a bed as an option. However, the foundation for change had been laid in 1925 when an enterprising Los Angeles architect, Arthur Heinemann, introduced a new concept in lodging tailored to the unique needs of the automobilist. Roughly halfway between San Francisco and Los Angeles and San Luis Obispo, he built a series of two-room bungalows that all faced into a central courtyard. Each unit featured a small kitchen and private adjoining garage. Other services included a swimming pool and picnic tables for outdoor dining. The cost, $1.25 Per night. The design was revolutionary, but the moniker bestowed upon it was even more so. The property was named Milestone and was promoted as a motor hotel. He later shortened this to Motel. Yet even $1.25 could be an unjustifiable travel expense during the hard times of the Great Depression or when the hot nights of summer made it cooler to camp, especially in the desert southwest. 
Why spend the money for a room in the summer when it's most likely hotter inside than out? But enterprising folks always find a way to triumph, now don't they? In Kingman, Arizona, a hard rock miner and enterprising Russian immigrant by the name of Conrad Minka devised a novel scheme for ensuring year-round business. First, he quarried rock from a mountain to the west of town and then constructed an auto court from the pale stone along Route 66. About 1935, he built a two-story box-like building from the same material, and that was his office and residence. Even though the entire complex was built on a foundation of stone, Minka dug utility tunnels under the motel and linked these with the tunnels of the office basement. These tunnels later lent credence to a persistent rumor that they also served another purpose, providing access for voyeuristic activity and the operation of an illegal still. Well, the real crowning achievement was a tunnel that ran for several hundred yards up the mountain in the back of the motel and connected with an air shaft that ran to the surface. At the base of the air shaft was a large tank of water in which strips of burlap were hung, creating a primitive evaporative cooler. With floor vents in each room and fans, the White Rock Motel was able to offer respite from the oppressive desert heat and summer business boomed. Individuality was the hallmark of motels and auto courts throughout the 1930s, as well as in the immediate post-war years. Even in this cornucopia of diversity, a few businesses were able to stand out and rise to the status of roadside legend, such as John Carr's Coral Court on Route 66 near St. Louis, Missouri. Designed by architect, architect Adolf Strobig in late 1940 and built in 1941, the Coral Court was a stunning complex. Each cabin contained two rooms that featured a private bath as well as a garage. The honey beige ceramic brick exteriors, brown accents, wedge-shaped glass brick windows, and rounded corners stood in stark contrast against the surrounding deep green foliage landscape. Even with the imposed gas rationing limits, the Coral Court was well received when it opened for business in 1942. In 1948, the motel expanded by 23 units. And for these, Mr. Carr utilized the talents of another local architect, Harold Trier. These new cabins shared the same color scheme, but the glass bricks were changed to triangles and the entry bays were enlarged to create a sitting room with a fold-out Murphy bed. After the completion of the complex, the sign was changed to read Coral Court Ultra Modern. In 1953, Carr broke from the traditional design when he added three more buildings to the rear of the property. These additions were two-story structures with eight rooms each. For the final time, the sign was updated to a more modern chrome and neon that read Coral Court Motel Moderate Rates. The final change came in 1961 when a swimming pool was added to the complex. But there was also a seedy side to the Coral Court, and according to legend, it surfaced unintentionally. The court began offering special four-hour rates as a courtesy to truckers and to maximize profits. This rate, though, as well as the unique design features of the motel, such as garage doors and access to the rooms from the garage, made it ideal for illicit rendezvous. Then with a decline in business that resulted from the I-44 bypass, 
The once stately Coral Court became the ultimate no-tell motel. By the late 1980s, it even began to lose its illicit business. In 1987, the owner's widow was approached with an offer for the property. A group of local citizens that recognized the motel as an historic asset formed the Coral Court Motel Preservation Society and intervened. But it was the beginning of the motel's final chapter. The sale proposal was withdrawn, and as a result, demolition was averted. In 1989, the organization succeeded in adding the motel to the National Register of Historic Places. Meanwhile, souvenir hunters hastened the building's demise by snatching pieces inside and out. In 1995, a developer purchased the property for construction of a new housing development, and a sign was placed out front that read, It's checkout time at the Coral Court. No more one-night stands. Though unable to save this interesting piece of roadside history, the Preservation Society did score one small victory. In conjunction with the Museum of Transportation in St. Louis, the Society moved one complete two-story, two-room bungalow from Coral Court with the intention to rebuild and restore it as part of an extensive display of roadside art America from the 1950s. While individuality and innovation were often used to draw people to roadside accommodations, those lodging options weren't very family-friendly. Keemans Wilson, an entrepreneur from Memphis, found this to be the case in 1951 when he drove his family to Washington, D.C. He later wrote that he was appalled by the flea bags, greasy motels, low-rent tourist camps, and boarding houses filled with salesmen that he encountered on the trip. FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover had gone even further in his condemnation in a 1940 magazine interview in which he claimed that motor courts were little more than camps of crime. Wilson was a businessman with vision. Rather than curse the darkness, he decided the time had come to change the face of roadside lodging. The idea was simple. He would do motels with what Howard Johnson had done with the standardization of restaurants and menus. A series of identical motels would be built within a day's drive of each other. Each room would feature clean sheets, a Bible, and the dresser drawer, air conditioning. In addition, there would be a pool and television. The name given the project, Holiday Inn, was the brainchild of a draftsman who had enjoyed the 1942 Bing Crosby film of the same name. And in 1952, the first Holiday Inn opened on Summer Avenue in Memphis, Tennessee. It featured a sign with a now well-known emerald green background filled with bright white neon spelling Holiday Inn and a red pylon with exploding yellow star. The idea was long overdue. Coupled with Wilson's ability to raise capital, the result was a meteoric rise for the company. As a result, by 1970, a new Holiday Inn was opening somewhere in the world every two and a half days. In the, in the dawning years of automotive travel and adventures, camping was the standard. Edsel Ford did it. Henry Ford, Harvey Firestone, they all enjoyed roadside camping. Many cities, quick to capitalize on tourism opportunities, began offering free campgrounds. And those gave way to auto courts and then to motels. And then the generic age. But things go full circle, and now revered on the back roads of America are vintage motels. Route 66 
is known for these, especially classics such as the neon-lit Blue Swallow Motel in Tucumcari, New Mexico, or the Roadrunner Lodge in Tucumcari that uh, is a living time capsule. Gives you a, a look at, well, a luxury motel circa 1964, but with modern amenities. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this program this morning, and I hope you'll join me Friday morning. We will be talking about ducks, elephants, and shoes. Unique roadside architecture. Back in an era before the generic time, when uh, people with a little bit of vision, a little bit of eccentricity, could ensure their business stood out from the crowd and was memorable. Folks, I hope you can join me for this fun little program. Until then, mi amigos, don't forget, uh, I'm still having trouble with Facebook. We're working on the website. Take a gander and, uh, well, come join the adventure in Jim Hinckley's America. Take care, my friends. Until we meet again, via con Dios. Adios. Say hello to a new friend on an old road. Take a two-lane trip of memories into mysteries unknown. Come along for the ride. Jim Hinckley's America. Jim Hinckley's America.